Hello and welcome to this, Talking Dogs. I'm Graham Hall, although there's a chance you might know me better as the dog father. I've been working with dogs for more than 10 years and for the last few of those years I've been helping struggling dog owners on TV's dogs behaving very badly. I'm determined to make sure all humans and dogs live harmoniously together, which is why I'm giving you even more advice on this podcast and the odd funny story too, if you're lucky or unlucky, depending on what you think of my sense of humour. I'd like to think I'm imparting twice the knowledge and wisdom on this episode today. Don't say I don't treat you, because uh, I want to talk about living with more than one dog in the house. First up, here's Susan, who's had a spot of bother with Milo when he meets up with a certain pug. Hi, Graham. My puppy Milo is six months old and is uncontrollable when he's in the company of my son's female three-year-old pug. He's obsessed with her to the point that he just wants to jump on her and hump her all the time. He doesn't even care which end he goes to, sometimes ending up humping her head. She's been neutered, but he hasn't yet. We've tried everything with time out, separating in different rooms, distraction, treats. When we have a nanosecond of calm and even tried letting them play to see if it would calm him down, but nothing works. He's just got one thing on his mind. He started to bark continuously at her now, so having them in the same room is impossible. I'm at my wit's end and out of ideas. I don't want to have to rehome my puppy, but I can't see a future where the two dogs are fine together. Milo, dirty boy. <laughs> now listen, from the way you're describing it, Susan, I think it does sound like what we're all thinking. Now you, you could spend all your time telling him no and often getting the, the tone of your voice just right, which is important, of course. But the, the truth is that... Yes, it could be that a trip to the vet is, is is the thing that you need here. Now, it's not often I'd advise that, especially six months old. It's quite early, actually. So have a chat to your vet about that. But also be aware that sometimes you might want to try to see what the effect of castration would be like without going for the surgical option. So there is a chemical version of that that vets will be aware of. So have a conversation with a vet. In other words, they can give them something that takes away the testosterone. Then you can see how your dog's going to behave without it before you decide to go for the, the more permanent um, option of, of surgery. Because once you've lopped them off, you can't glue them back on again. The other thing that's that's kind of striking me about Milo is that he may well grow out of this as he grows out of his teenage phase. We talked about teenage dogs a couple of weeks ago and this is a couple of those classic signs but with a bit of bit of humping thrown in and your poor old old pug bless her I don't think she's she knows what's hit her does she? So it sounds as though you don't live together so it's not clear who's um, whose responsibility it is to deal with it, really. Make sure you're not all shouting at Milo all at once. Ideally, in, in the room, maybe one person agrees that, yeah, I'll, I'll sort it, I'll deal with them. So he needs to be told, no, that's absolutely right. You know, move him off. You know, you'll need to repeat it. It's the nature of puppies that you don't do these things once or twice. I'm really interested that you say you get a nanosecond of calm. That's, that's very good. Um, I think a lot of people will uh, will identify with that. When you do get that little bit of calm, it's really important to praise him calmly for that, right? That sounds obvious when you say it like that, doesn't it? So it's like, hum, 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 no, no, no. And then when he goes, hmm, 
you know, what can I do next? It's like, oh, good boy. You'd have to wait for him to do anything brilliant. Just stop him. And that, you know, that moment where he goes, hmm, pause for thought. If you go, oh, good boy. He's like, what? I keep hearing good boy when I'm doing nothing. Yeah, mate, doing nothing would be really nice. Thank you very much. Most likely, I think, in Milo's case, it is what we think. It is about sex. You know, he's got to that age. But you do get female dogs humping male dogs as well. It can be a bit of a, you know, a, a, dare I say, a dominance thing, a sort of getting one over on the other dog thing. So it's not necessarily going to be a problem when you've got a male and a female in the same house. And actually, you can get different problems of sort of vying for top dog when you get two females, particularly of the same litter. But that's perhaps a, a subject for another time, sibling rivalry. So nothing wrong in of itself, having a male and a female in the same house. But yeah, it can cause problems like this. So Susan has a problem when these two dogs were brought together every now and again. But what about when we live with more than one dog? If Susan's dogs were living together, they might actually have found their own way over time. But puppies often go over the top, as Mandy's found out. She emailed me this. I have a five-year-old Jack Russell bitch, a four-year-old greyhound bitch, and a six-month-old greyhound dog. They were all fine when I got the pup, but last few weeks they've been fighting and going to the toilet indoors. The pup's trying to be top dog and being a bully. How do I stop that, please? I think, first of all, you've got it right. How do I deal with this? How do I stop it from happening? There is a bit of a tendency sometimes uh, for people to try and leave it to the older dogs to put the puppy in their place. Or if you've got a dog that's a bit funny with us, it's like, I just wish another dog would put them in the place, would, would tell them off. In effect, if you're thinking like that, it really means I, I wish another dog would do my job for me because, you know, you're meant to be in charge of your dog, right? Meant to be in control of your dog. So it is down to you. So it's, it's the right question, I think, you're asking, Mandy. So, so let's answer that question. There is a tendency to think that when a younger dog comes into the house, they just won't be bossed because they were here last. But it depends on the dog's character, right? So if you've got a couple of older dogs that are a bit more meek and mild or a bit chilled out, and the puppy, uh, you know, again, getting to that sort of age where testosterone's kicking in. If, if he was always sort of born to be the sort of natural leader, then even though he doesn't really know what he's doing yet and he doesn't know how to do it, there's a big, big strong natural instinct, really, to sort of telling him, right, come on, get these into line. You know, you, you're the boss, you're the boss. And that's the, that's the thing going through his head. The bit he's missing is, actually, he's not the boss. Mum's boss. So... That's the way forward to finding harmony. So at the moment, he's too young. Uh, he thinks he wants to be top dog, but he's probably overdoing it. So you need to be that top dog, but without being a bully, right? So right tone of voice, right body language. The key to this is that assertive way you put yourself across. If you're shouting and screaming, overdoing it, I'm not suggesting you are, by the way, then that won't work. Right, so, oi, no, pack it in, oi, no, ah, yeah, mm, that's not what leaders act like. All that's going to do is rev him up, make it worse and worse. But if, you, if you're a bit lightweight, on the other hand, it's like, come on, please don't do that, come on, no, no. Think of the sound of that. It's not the words, it's the, uh, no, 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 uh, uh, he's like, well, that's kind of a pleasant enough sort of soundtrack, but nothing about that. 
is telling him that, no, this is not allowed, and I'll deal with this, thank you very much. So when he crosses the line, stick to your guns with, you know, something simple like, no, you know, ah, ah, oi. I mean, I, by the way, I try different sounds when I'm telling dogs off, right? I do it automatically, you know, when I walk in a door, but I've got a repertoire of, of sounds like, oi, no, ah. Sometimes I'll do that, you know, that hissy thing. It, it, just try different things. Sometimes you hit on, on things. That hissy thing, by the way, works a treat with some dogs they just look at you and go whoa i don't like that it took me a long time to realize that actually the reason for that is probably that things in nature that hiss at you aren't good for you <laughs> that said other dogs i can hiss at they look at me and just laugh you know <laughs> you know but maybe no works so experiment with different sounds but make sure you deliver it in that calm i mean it i'm your mother do listen to me sort of way right the flip side to that of course is that when he's calmer, when he's being good, he's backing down, listening to you and not trying it on with his with his, uh, his siblings, that's when you need to be giving him a bit of calm praise. Yes, good boy. Because if you don't let him know what it is that you want, how does he know? I've said that before on this podcast. It's a key thing that I always come back to. So when does he cross the line? What do I mean by that? Well, I think in order for you to be consistent, you've got to have a pretty good idea in your mind where that line's drawn, right? For me, it's really easy with a puppy. They're obviously going to play and jumping over each other and all sorts of stuff. But as soon as it gets snarly or nippy, that's where I'm drawing the line, right? So I used to see this in puppy classes all the time. We'd have maybe eight puppies running around and it'd be quite noisy, you know. And then I'd hear over there somewhere and like, and you're like, whoa. And I'd be over there like a shot. No, you know. So that snarly sound, when it's gone from, yeah, come on, play with me, nip me, I nip you, you nip me. And when it goes into sort of like, I'm going to have you, it's like, whoa, that's not allowed. But also when the teeth get a bit too involved. So they'll do a little bit of like mouthing at each other. But when they're, when they're really nipping and you know it's, it's causing pain for the other dog, yeah, you don't want to get to that point. So those are the two things. That's the line. That's where you come in and go, no. If you're consistent, they learn by trial and error. Right, okay, here we go. Every time I do that, that's when I get told off. But it seems to be okay if I just play. So here's a couple of more general thoughts for when dogs aren't, aren't getting on like this. There are often triggers that set a couple of dogs off. So the dogs might be absolutely fine, for example, until there's a bone around. And then it's just a point of conflict. And it's very, very difficult to sort of fix that kind of thing when you've got it. Sometimes, frankly, there's a simple fix to it. I'll often say to people, look, there's a, there's a long, drawn-out dog training stroke, dog psychology answer to this one. And there's a just don't bring a bone into the kitchen answer <laughs> you know sometimes it's just okay to manage a situation in that way it's not a cheat it's just common sense you know so it's like if the if your life is absolutely fine until you bring a bone back from the butchers then just don't do that it's it's okay you know there are other situations of course where there are things that you can't avoid but you know if you can avoid it sometimes that's that's fine i think it's okay Another thing about when dogs um, are, are not getting on well, sometimes it's because they've been cooped up too much. So I'm always looking at how much exercise dogs are getting. The answer to everything, by the way, isn't always more and more and more exercise, but the opposite can certainly be a problem. So if you think about 2020 and, and now we're into 21, lockdowns all cooped up together, 
can't escape from any other person in the house. People that you got on with quite well when there was a bit of distance from you suddenly get on your wick, right? And it's the same with dogs. They're no different. They just get to the point where where they go, you know, that thing you do really annoys me. And before you know it, it's all up in the air, you know. So get them outside when you can. Make sure, you know, lockdowns and no lockdowns. Make sure your dogs are getting enough exercise. They're getting a bit of time apart. You know, they don't have to be on top of each other all the time. Quite often when two dogs are in the same room, Anyway, they'll just choose to go to different ends of the room. They know when to give themselves a bit of space. And sometimes we as humans mess it up because we end up, oh, you've got to be together. You know, it's like, yeah, you will have your beds next to each other. It's not really necessary. So, you know, a bit of space, it can go a long way. Now, if you've already got a dog and you're considering getting another one, there's a number of things that that you'll want to think about right so the first thing is is breeds i've seen some <laughs> some amazing mixes um there's a story in my book about the chihuahua that lived with a great dane and one of them was terrified of the other and it was the great dane that was scared of the chihuahua but it ended well so they'll often get along quite nicely but just think about the kind of energy of those dogs you know if you've got a real steady old lollopy old greyhound for example right he's quite happy just going out for half an hour in a day he's fine match that with a working breed cocker spaniel <laughs> it's not a match made in heaven they might well get on but you're gonna to have to do separate walks that's for sure so just think about that that match between the two breeds right but generally i would say depending on their characters any breed will get on with with any breed temperament really is is more important than anything else so age is interesting as well i would say it's not a no-no to put a younger dog with an older dog quite the opposite people have done that for years and often the younger dog does learn a bit from the older dog and the older dog gets something from it as well they often get a second wind when the puppy comes along so that can work quite nicely just make sure that your older dog's not overwrought with it all yeah one of the things to think about if you get if you've got a slightly older dog and you're getting a new puppy is the young puppy's going to be needing more and more and more exercise over the next year or two as the older dog potentially is beginning to need less so just plan ahead for the time when you will have to walk them separately right or at least you might take them both out for 20 minutes and then drop the older one back home and that kind of thing have you got the time to do that it's not all about a puppy of course it could be that you're getting a rescue dog and bringing them into the house so what's the best way to introduce a couple of dogs the old adages here are probably about right meet outside on neutral ground i'm not the first person ever to say that it does make sense if you go for a walk together you're doing a couple of things one is you're blowing off a bit of energy a bit of excess energy so that when you do get back to the house they're a bit calmer but the other thing is they get used to each other um, walking in in parallel lines right um somebody told me something once about the romans that when they had a conflict on the go, instead of sitting in the, the barracks opposite each other, going at each other, they would get out and walk on their lovely Roman straight roads and they would walk and walk in parallel, both pointing forwards, airing their differences until they'd sorted things out and then they would turn around and march back to the barracks. So it's the same with dogs, it occurred to me. If two dogs meet face to face, it just feels like conflict. Whereas when they meet on a walk, they're in those parallel lines. We've all got a kind of common purpose 
us here. We're all going this way. And then you bring them back to the house in one sort of continuum, you know, and in through the door. And it's like, it was fine out there. It's fine in here. So when you get back to the house, having gone for a walk, it's not as though the old dog's going to get all territorial and it's, it's, there's an invader coming in. It's more like you've met outside, got used to each other, and then, and then kind of said, do you want to come in for a cup of tea, mate? Uh, that's the sort of feeling, you know? Don't give them tea, by the way. It's bad for them. There's things in tea that aren't good for dogs. I'll give you a good reason not to get a second dog, by the way. That's when you've got one dog, and you weren't particularly thinking about a second dog, but you've got a dog with behavioural issues, and you're hoping that if you get a really well-behaved other dog, put the two together, your original dog will learn to be a good boy, and all will be well with your world. What might happen, and I've seen this so many times, is that the new dog comes into the household, right? You can see where I'm going with this, can't you? Learns from the other dog, right? How's things done around here? Oh, we bark at everything, mate. Anything that goes past the front door, we bark. All right, you bark, I'll follow you. Before you know it, you've got two dogs with the same problem. So don't get a second dog just to fix a behaviour problem when you've got one with the first one. I speak from a bit of experience here with, with two dogs. Um, so you might know that I had two Rottweilers for many years, Gordon and Axel, right? So Axel came along first, got him as a little puppy, eight weeks old from breeder. Lovely, great. Uh, everything was going along swimmingly. And then I got a phone call from somebody I knew who'd got a litter of rotty puppies and it was an accidental breeding. Two dogs had got together. And he said, do you know any... Any, have you got any contacts in the police or anything? Because um, I need to find homes for these puppies, you know, because um, they're, you know, potentially a bit edgy knowing the mother and the father, you know, probably not suitable to, for any pet home. And I'm like, OK, great. How much do you want for these puppies then? He said, oh, they're free to a good home. Well, I'm a Yorkshireman. Free is my best price. So Gordon came to me and I introduced him to Axel about nine months between them. So I suppose he was sort of 10, 11 months old. And initially Axel was like, what is that thing? And Gordon looked a bit scared in the house. I didn't take my own advice because I didn't know it then. I didn't actually meet him outside. But then it's difficult with a little puppy because you can't go on a walk. But they got used to each other. It was fine. And then they were the best of mates for, well, 10 years. Yeah, they went within months of each other. But, you know, I didn't get Gordon because I had a problem with Axel uh, or vice versa. It was just, I thought at the time, well, you know, two dogs. It's hardly going to be any more effort than one dog, is it? Not true, actually. So if you do get two puppies at the same time, you might hear people say, oh, they'll, they'll fight. And they sometimes do. We call it sibling rivalry. Often if they're from the same litter, if they're the same sex, if they're very similar in terms of characters, then they kind of sort of fight it out. It's like, I I'm the boss of you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. And so on. Often if they're very different, that's when they get on the best. So with Axel and Gordon, it was very clear always that Axel was just the boss. And Gordon just never wanted to be, you know, and it wasn't to do with his age. Gordon, if he could have spoke, he'd been one of those people who went, listen, mate, I just want to go to work, clock in, do me job. I don't want to tell anybody else what to do. I don't want to be a supervisor. I'm just happy. Right. Don't give me any extra pressure. Whereas Axel was born to be, you know, oh, I want to take on the world, you know. So it worked really well because it was like Axel's like, I'm the boss. And Gordon's like, I know. <laughs> happy days, right? So 
those characters are, are what's key when you're putting a couple together. But it is more effort when you've got two dogs, right? It may be you've got to walk them separately. You you need eyes in the back of your head when they're, they're both off lead on recall. And you can't just train them both at the same time, actually, because they're going to learn at different rates anyway. You pretty much have to sort of sit one puppy down. If you get two puppies at the same time, for example, it's a lot of work. You've got to get one and do the sit thing, and then, yeah, great, that's you for a bit. You can go over there bring the next one into the room do a bit of that it is twice as much work in many ways recall training if you're going to use a, a, a long line for example for for recall you'll have two dogs tying you up in in complete knots you really have to train them one at a time it's a lot of time commitment so don't let anybody tell you that having two dogs at the same time is barely any more effort than one it's just not true If you do have two or more dogs there's going to come a time when one of them sadly is going to die and there's always been a bit of a question around how do you cope you know well how do you cope but how do you get the the other dogs to cope and to understand and years ago i went to see a client and um they, they said you know when their old labrador had, had died that they her favorite place was out on the out on the patio so she was very very ill and they were gonna to have to get the vet to to put her to sleep but they got the vet to come out to them which is the first time i'd heard of it this was many years ago she went to sleep on the patio surrounded by all the family and love they even gave her a bit of chocolate in the morning because for, for however many years she'd been alive she was an old dog she'd always wanted everybody's chocolate so on the last morning she had a bit of chocolate because it didn't really make much difference did it and they let, they said goodbye to that way and i just thought that's a lovely thing and i remembered it and i thought when the time comes with my dogs that's what i'm going to do and actually you don't always get the opportunity but that's how it was with Axel and Gordon. But there is a question around, so how does the, the remaining dog, the surviving dog, sort of understand something else I'd heard and thought was a good idea was if it's possible that your dog can be put to sleep at home, then there's an opportunity that the dog sees the body. I know this sounds a bit gruesome, but when Axel died, Gordon was out of the room and then, of course, we were all a bit flat, you can imagine, and I brought him back in. And I'd heard that they just sort of understand. They just sort of know. Something in them just knows what's gone on, you know. And Gordon was amazing. He came in, had a little sniff at Axel, went, ah, right, you're dead then. Uh, oh, Vect, Hugo, hello. <laughs> and he was bouncing up and down at the vet going, I know you, can we play? And then afterwards, he was a bit flat for, for a few weeks, I suppose. I, I was too, so maybe he was just feeding off me, right? But I do think they go through a bit of a grieving stage. But he bounced back better than ever, actually, because he, <laughs> he was out from underneath the shadow by then. So he, his last year was well, a bit less than a year. was was quite bouncy. But I'm a great believer in that. I heard loads of people sort of say that they took one dog off to the vets and, of course, that dog never came back. So their remaining dog just spent weeks and months you know, pining at the door, looking out the window, hoping in vain that their little mate might come back and not understanding what had happened. And it's just terribly sad. So it doesn't always have to be like that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Now, listen, I really want to hear about your dog and any problems you might be having with them. So do you feel like you've tried everything? It might just be that I'm able to suggest something new. So do send me a voice note to talkingdogs at avalonuk.com and I could be answering your question next week. 
I'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can meet up again very soon and we can have a little waffle on about our furry friends. Now, listen, you could even tell some of your friends about the podcast next time you're out and about. Just a thought. Look after yourself, your loved ones, and of course, your dogs. Thank you.